Je suis enchanté. Où est la bibliothèque? All right, returning back to the program is a wonderful, I think, addendum to our chat last week with Gerald Nachman talking about the rebel comedians of the 50s and 60s. And of course, uh, our good friend Will Durst had a thing or two to say about that. But um, we need to bring back on the program uh, Phil Proctor, who's, who's a legend of comedy himself, from, uh, dating back to the 1960s. So without further ado, I'd like to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Phil. Well, I, I don't have any ado here either, and I certainly <laughs> don't have an agenda. So it's nice to be back. Uh, on the, it's nice to see that the Parallax is still holding up, too in spite of Einstein's theory of the bendability of the universe. That hasn't affected us so far. But, uh, Phil, I wanted to say that uh, uh, our good pal, Will Durst, America's foremost political comic, came to town last weekend. We were chatting afterwards, and Keith Jensen, local comic, uh, Mike O'Connell, and Nick Bruner, some some guys that are up-and-coming stand-up fellows, were were chatting, and... and, uh, Durst mentioned the fact that you guys, the Firesign Theater, had done some stuff back in the 60s, that it took uh-huh. him years to realize some of the comedy you actually embedded into, uh, into one of the skits, which I thought was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually taken us years to, to, <laughs> to hear some of the comedy, and I'm not kidding either. No, you know, uh, I mean, there are four guys, right? Yeah. So four, four guys would be writing, right? And uh, we'd all throw in something that we thought was funny, and if one of us laughed then it usually stayed into the, the, the masterpiece that we were creating. But that doesn't mean that we all understood everything that was funny until years later when certain arcane references became clear to us. Uh, the, the one that Will mentioned was the coming mother uh, from Porgy. And yes, indeed, that did come from the Henry Aldrich uh, radio show, which I actually saw live when I was a kid. Really? Down at, uh, yeah, at uh, NBC. I went and saw an actual, you know, radio, live radio broadcast of Henry Aldridge, and I'll never forget it. I mean, it was one of the things that got me interested in uh, in uh, the audio world and going into radio. And of course, we ran into Will Durst uh, most recently at the International Mystery Writers Festival in Owensboro, Kentucky, oh. where he was uh, he, he did his uh, his political commentary, uh, his political stand-up, which was absolutely frigging brilliant and wonderful. Uh, he's such a bright fellow and so funny. And, and then we caught up because we had we performed on television years ago uh, on various comedy shows, and I hadn't really had a chance to talk to him for a while. But now, you know, he gave me a copy of his new book and signed it for me. And uh, it's now an old book, actually, when I think about it, because this is like a year ago. Right. But uh, we're now in touch by email, and uh, every once in a while he'll send me something funny and and I'm always sending him something. Funny, well, you're sending so. him Planet Proctor, I presume. He gets Planet Proctor. Your weekly that's effort right. to uh, to update people's comedy stylings. Well, uh, when, which my we've... bi-weekly, my bi-weekly oh. effort. We we lift from it heavily, always with attribution. Good. <laughs> so I'm glad. I'm very that. glad you you do because I've lifted from other people heavily <laughs> in order to to pad it with with comic insanity. Uh, you know, I really count on my contributors. That's how the whole thing started. More than gee, I don't know. I've been doing it for 14 years, I think. Uh, I was sitting around, rattling around my house, saying, what the hell can I do with this, with my comic mind if I'm not engaged in writing a record or, you know, or, or performing in something? And so I sat down in front of the blank screen and started filling it. And uh, uh, at that time, if you remember, people would be sending you 
uh, uh, lists of things and jokes and things right, right, right. with like a, you know a hundred million people the, before that, and then all of those terrible little carrots and things because it had been forwarded three hundred million times. Right. And you, if you wanted to use it, you had to clean it all up. You know, uh, things. Have, but but I would do that and edit it and throw it into a into a context, a comic context. And uh, that really caught on, so that now uh, excerpts from it are published in Funny Times. Uh, the Reader's Digest occasionally excerpts stuff, if you can believe it, from Planet Proctor and, and sends me a little check. And, uh, uh, and now, of course, people are, are sending much neater uh, files and things, so it's easier for me to, to, to paste and cut and copy. But I still edit and clean up and, and, and uh, put my own slant on certain things. Uh, I try to depoliticize some stuff if I can. Uh, because uh, you know, I've learned over over the years that if I make it too heavily political, uh, it, it almost becomes offensive to the the three conservatives who who receive it, <laughs> hey. and I certainly don't want to alienate them. No, heaven but, forbid. You know, heaven forbid. <laughs> so I, I I try to get a, a more even-headed perspective on things. Um, since, as you know, you'll get a joke that's heavily slanted against the liberals, and then you'll get the same joke heavily slanted against the conservatives. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I it do. Just changed, it just changed the perspective. So I, I think uh, 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 that, that, that's what I do. My political commentary is more to point out the absurdity of, uh, of certain conservative thinking uh, in, in this modern world and to, if I can, can possibly do it, to denigrate the, uh, uh, the spurious um, assumptions that are constantly made about so-called liberal thinking. Well, we're with you on that. I think that this kind of divisiveness politically has, has been very, very damaging to the country. There's no sign that it's going to end because of the, uh, the propaganda machines that the uh, right wing has created. But I do hope that, um, that most intelligent people are becoming, well, most intelligent people, there's another three folks that I'm talking to, <laughs> but most intelligent people out there are getting hip to it and don't listen to it anymore uh, or decry it or, you know, make, uh, uh, try to point out how, how absurd and mean and mean-spirited and, and uh, destructive it is to our democratic process. Uh, I just hope that it, it's so, it's the sad thing that I think we're all struggling with is that all these damn polls always show us that there's like a 50-50 split in this country. It's the Civil War. We never got over the Civil War. If you look at the old electoral map, Phil, I mean, the, George Bush was president of the Confederacy, and, mm -hmm. and, and to a disturbing degree. You would think that general, generationally, the, the, there would be a certain amount of, of uh, a genetic cleansing of just, you know, the, uh, re the refreshing of the DNA, the, the, the newly erased blackboards would somehow, uh, you know, lead to a more enlightened uh, society. But, but it seems that the indoctrination that continues uh, in, in, uh, uh, in political ideology is creating uh, a, a continuation of, the, of this kind of uh, uh, separation of thought. You know, and I think it's it's very disturbing. Well, we I share your your being disturbed, and and I think between what what you're doing and what we're trying to do on this show, we're we're trying to fight the good fight against it. To, I'd like to just jump in, Phil, and say that uh, mm -hmm. as a follow up to our our talk last week, Gerald Nachman's wonderful book on the Rebel Comics kind of peters yeah. out. He's dealing focusing on stand up, and he peters out in about the mid '60s, whereas uh, you and your troop of uh, Fire Signers came on board late 60s, early 70s with album comedy, something he didn't get into right. too much. And you guys really broke a lot of a new ground with that. I, I was disappointed about that, too. 
that that we were somehow not included. Uh, but that's happened to us a lot, you know, because we, we are we we created such a unique forum for what we did. Uh, nobody before had taken the the uh, the free platform of uh, the phonograph record. The fact is that we we knew that people could take a record home and listen to it in the privacy of their own home, right. and that said to us freedom of freedom of of, uh, of thought, freedom of speech, and we immediately used it as a forum to express all kinds of com- comedic ideas. And we we knew that uh, uh, we wanted to create records that people would have to listen to again and again and again and again, or share with their friends. Uh, Phil, I'm I'm guessing in this that you guys you guys were certainly breaking some new ground, but there were pioneers before you. Bob Newhart had been an album comic, and Stan Freeberg yeah. had, had really got made a uh, made a lot of headway with with stuff on on uh, on disc. Yes, oh, it's true. But but if you if you listen to those records, you'll see that they're basically uh, one note satirical concepts. You know, I right. mean, Freeberg was is still a supreme master of parody, as far as I'm concerned, and satire. And you know, I'm playing back in my head right now, Saint George and the Dragon. <laughs> don't uh, don't you start know, that; you'll it'll be in your head all day. All of those absolutely uh, prim- primordial um, uh, comedic. Uh, um, uh, poems in our heads, you know, and, and but Firesign wanted to go beyond that. We wanted to take the experience of radio listening and uh, and the experience of, of, of satirical comedy and mesh it all together into a psychedelic form that would basically violate all of the rules of, uh, of progressive theatrical uh, uh, structuring and allow you to go anywhere at any time just through, say, the, the, the expression of a sound effect, yes. which could take you into a new scene, yes. all right? And, and basically it was all based on what I, what I call associative thinking, which is the subconscious way that the, or the atomistic or molecular level on which the brain works. You guys, I should note, are still at it. You guys are still doing what you do, and, and I, are you on tour? Or are you... Yeah, we started in the 60s, and now we're all in our 60s, and many of us are pushing the 70s. Uh, and uh, uh, we are touring uh, with a new show. Uh, we're going to be playing at the Winningstad Theater uh, in Portland, Oregon, on the 11th and the 12th of uh, June. Okay. And then the 13th, we're going to Eugene, to the Soaring Theater. Uh, and then a little later in the month, we're going to go, uh, let's see, to, well, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas with the L.A. Guitar Quartet doing a one-man reading of Don Quixote that was originally uh, written really? by John Cleese. But really? that's another story, right? Wow. And, the, and then the Fireside will be playing Medford, uh, Ashland, at the Cascade Theater in Redding, California, something like the 25th and 26th, I think it is. But we have more, more tours uh, ahead, and we'll be uh, returning to the Barnesdale Gallery Theater in October for three nights of, of insanity. And what we basically are doing now is a, a stand-up show with scripts in hand, yes. and that's in quotes, yes. uh, you know, performing a, a mashup of our greatest hits, but newly designed uh, and updated for modern ears. And, uh, and we play with one another, and we play with the audience, and we improvise, and we, we, we deconstruct our own material and throw it in their faces, and they do the same to us, and we break one another up, and we're having just a wonderful time. And because it's script in hand, we just like the old radio shows, because this is an amalgam of what we used to do on the radio in a stand-up form, we can, we can throw in new material that we write individually, which is how we like to break one another up. We can throw scripts together that everybody has to perform in that's brand new material that nobody's ever seen before, and we can perform all 
all this stuff at the spur of the moment. So that every show is different. When they're watching you, and I, and I was there last year when you were in Monterey, people are watching you up up there with scripts in hand. You really are recreating the way they used to do it in old-time radio. People would have a script, and yet they had an audience. And they also were able to improvise and have fun with the audience, have fun with one another, and break one another up. And, and if mistakes happen, you know, you, they happen, and they're part of the fun, too. But, and that Monterey show, that was the, the first time that we actually experimented with this format uh, in our in our later incarnations, I think it worked, and I I, I wish you guys yeah. were doing more of it. Thank you. Yes, we're having a ball doing it. The audiences love it. And then after each show, we schmooze and sign records and and sell our old props and things. Well, you know, our our motto here in this show, as long as we're cracking each other up, is if the audience thinks it's it's funny too, well, that that's a, that's frosting on the cake. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, we're the only group that I know that's heckled by our own material. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you uh, you attended an event here last week, I guess it was. We were I was not yeah. able to get down there. The 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 venerable, the wonderful uh, legend of radio, Norman Corwin, celebrated his one hundredth anniversary, and that's how um, you and I crossed paths. I saw you and your lovely wife performing for the one, I guess, five years ago. And yeah. and Corwin, of course, cocky that or said he wasn't worried. He was going to make his hundredth. His dad lived to be one hundred and twelve. No problem. And sure as, sure as hell, he did make it to 100, and sounds like it was a wonderful event you attended. It was a wonderful event. Uh, his, just to put it in context, his brother is 107. <laughs> his, his brother, Emil, right. you know, and his dad, I think, lived to like 108 or something. And now, Norman is uh, uh, he's as sharp as ever, and he is art, as articulate as ever, but he's also, the, the, the ravages of time are taking a toll on his body. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's pretty much wheelchair-bound now. But he's got a wonderful assistant uh, named uh, uh, Chris Borges, who's taking good care of him, and uh, and he obviously uh, enjoys very much participating in all of these celebrations uh, of his longevity and and yeah. recognition of the incredible uh, contribution that he made to the art of of radio. He practically created the art, uh, single-handedly, the art of, of, of uh, a radio theater. Well, Phil, I, I, uh, I feel very fortunate in that having read Gerald Nachman's first book on old-time radio, which he is going to return mm -hmm. to talk to us about in, in a month or oh, two, good. he had a, a whole chapter on Corwin explaining how important he was to radio. So when, when that invitation from the Museum of, uh, of uh, Television and Radio came around, I, I sort of knew, oh my God, what an event this would be to see. And, of course, yeah. the, the happy outcome has been that you and I crossed paths, and I've been able to interview uh, Norman subsequently for this show, which was really uh, just, a, just a treat. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, this was a celebration of, of his uh, uh, career done at the Writers Guild Theater on uh, Doheny and Beverly Hills, and the company that was chosen to basically um, uh, offer samples of his, of his great works on a note of triumph and a, and a comic piece, a fantasy piece called Mary and the Fairy, was the CART, the California Audio Radio Theater, which is mentored and, and uh, produced and directed by Peggy Weber, who's been doing it forever. And uh, there was a lot of star power up there, Shelley Berman and Shelley Long and uh, Ed Asner yeah. and uh, all kinds of wonderful people who came forward. Uh, uh, to, to Norman Lloyd, who is who's known uh, and worked with with Norman uh, Corwin forever, and and personal reminiscences uh, were hysterically offered by by Carl Reiner, and by the absolutely brilliant Knock 'em Dead Hal Cantor, one of the funniest extemporaneous speakers I've ever heard, 
Uh, and uh, I'm and so sorry I missed this. Damn. Oh, it was great. But you know, uh, there will be some kind of a recording of it. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I will certainly pass it along to you. Oh, great. Uh, and you know, okay. And I'll also let you know uh, uh, when and if you can play excerpts from it and all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure will be possible. Uh, and Leonard Malton hosted as usual. He's just a, such a generous, uh, warm, wonderful human being. We know him. He and his, his, his wonderful acerbic wife, Alice, very well, and love having dinner together. He's always a hoot, and, and, very, and, and he's so knowledgeable about all of this. So anyway, uh, on, they did excerpts from On a Note of Triumph. They did um, Mary and the Fairy with, with uh, Joanne Worley playing the lead girl, uh, Miss, uh, Mary Pooter. And the fairy was played by uh, Marvin Kaplan who is a character actor with a great moon face and big ground glasses that you would recognize instantly huh. if you Google him. And he, he, you know, his specialty is kind of a Brooklyn, New York Jewish <laughs> approach. And so the fairy was like, you know, you know, Mary Puta, can I help you? Will you get five wishes? You know, very funny, funny with Joanne's, you know, outrageous, over-the-top, on-top comedy. And that was a lot of fun to, to see. And then the serious piece uh, that was done was Our Lady Liberty and Some of Her Friends, which w was a piece that I, I also got to perform in uh, for National Public Radio, or PBS, I guess it was. Hey, you got to give us a heads up on some of these a little bit in advance. Maybe some people can travel down. To, I know we have listeners in L.A., and people are down there may want to go mm -hmm. see some of these things. Sure. Well, you know, now that we've <coughs> reestablished our audio contact here uh, i will send you emails and maybe i can uh, hop into your ear and and uh, alert people to some of this stuff because yes it's a it, it, people should definitely know you're not that far away southwest flights are still pretty reasonable you can pop down to la without without breaking the bank yeah but anyway it was a, a thrilling and wonderful event and and norman was was absolutely deeply touched by it uh it was also the inauguration of an award by the national uh audio theater festivals uh, which happen in the um, in, uh, uh, state of Missouri uh, every year uh, that for the last almost 20 years. And Norman and the Firesign Theater and uh, us as individuals have participated in these workshops, which are designed to keep the art of audio theater alive. God bless you for doing that. We, we do at this station at KDVS have a, um, a original drama produced on a weekly Good. basis. And, and, you know, we ought to... Some of your original stuff, may, they may be interested in that. We'll have to give them, we'll have to talk oh, to them about sure, it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Lots of people uh, ask for the the rights to do uh, Nick Danger and various other bozos and things like that. But anyway, the national NETF uh, created an award called the Norman Corwin Award for Excellence in Broadcasting, and it's a beautiful crystal award that they designed just over the last few months on a mineral base with the name of, the, of the, the person who receives it. And, of course, this year it was given to Norman Corwin. But every year on the date of his birthday, which is May 3rd, uh, 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 he will, this award will be presented as a Life Achievement Award to someone or some group or somebody, maybe the Fireside Theater, if we're lucky, who has contributed to the art of audio theater. Well, the way Norman's going, I expect we'll probably get 10 more of those awards with him in attendance. God, I hope so. <laughs> Phil, I'm sorry to part. We're, we're running out of time. I have to, we have to end this as fun as it's been, but let's get you back on real soon. I would love to talk to you anytime about anything. All right? <laughs> It's a that deal. makes it really easy. Call it, so just call up anytime you want. All right. Great to talk to you, Doug. Phil Proctor, Thanks. legendary comedian of the Firesign Theater and actor with, it's the Antonis? Antius. The Antius Company of North Hollywood. Yes, a great classical theater company. Uh, my wife and I have been, been acting there for 14 years. 
Oh, what fun. All right, Phil. All right. Take we'll care. talk soon. Okay.